Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 37 of the Kennedy Mile Report, brought to you by our great sponsor, Clio, and its suite of online law practice management tools. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we went all virtual and talked about the sightless web. We thought we'd take a 180-degree turn and talk about how the real world is actually colliding with the virtual world these days. Suddenly, as in real estate, the buzz phrase for the Internet is location, location, location. Tom, tell our listeners what we'll cover in this episode. Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we're going to talk about location-based services and uh, whether lawyers should even care about this new phenomenon. In another installment of uh, what Dennis and Tom are talking about, we will revisit the iPad and see which one of us gave in to the hypnotic charms of Apple's tablet. And as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can begin to use the second that this podcast is over. Well, let's get on to our main topic, which is location. Uh, last week, Facebook made a big splash by announcing its Facebook Places, its new location-based check-in service. We thought it might be a good time to talk about places and other services like it, uh, you know, what they're all about and why lawyers should even care about them in the first place. Dennis, I use these services regularly. I have a lot of fun with them, uh, but... I, you're not quite so convinced. Uh, should we start with a brief discussion about what these location-based services are in the first place? Yeah, because I, I think it's a real eye-opener to, to a lot of lawyers that these these types of services could even exist. And then, then I think it's going to be a, a head-scratcher for them to figure out why people would actually use them. <laughs> because uh, there's a certain sense it kind of goes, goes against our fundamental uh, inclinations about privacy uh, and how, you know, how public and how private we want to be. But basically, uh, location services, as we'll talk about them, uh, are... Just think in terms of social networking services with that are enhanced to include location information. And so that could be GPS information. Uh, it could be uh, location information that you provide yourself, uh, information that's triangulated from between uh, uh, different network locations to kind of figure out where you are. But so the the geographic information can be addresses, can be actual uh, positional information, as in GPS, is associated with what you're doing and then used in a variety variety of different ways. But as we talk about it, sort of in the area of of social sh social networking. So that's kind of the the big picture. I mean, Tom, I guess. You might want to localize uh, what we're talking about to your early experience with Foursquare, which is probably as good as an example of, of these location services as there is. 
Sure. And, and before I do that, I think that what really makes these services has really made these services take off has been, uh, just the explosion of the smartphone and the fact that every smartphone out there has got some sort of GPS or location sensitive, uh, tool within it. But, you know, really there are other products out there that use location, uh, as part of their as part of their uh, their program offering, for example, on Twitter, you have the op- the option to uh, have Twitter show where are you when you're making your tweet. Um, in Evernote, uh, I use Evernote a lot for my note taking. You can also turn on the location uh, uh, feature there so that uh, you people you will know where you were when you took a picture or took a particular note. And the the benefit of these location services is that you'll then be able to go back and search the metadata, uh, essentially, of these services to find out, you know, I want to find out what types of notes I took in San Francisco, or where was I uh, when I tweeted this? I'd like to know more about that. And what these uh, smartphone services have done is, is go a little bit further and made it more of a social event. And I'll, I'll explain Foursquare. I've talked about it in a previous podcast, but I will go over it very briefly for those of you who didn't listen to the first episode. Foursquare is a service that is similar to others in the, in the field like Gowalla or Looped. Um, and then a slew of other services that are following on. But I think Foursquare is really the, 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 the leader in, in these types of services. And, and essentially what it does is it allows you wherever you are, uh, to check in. Uh, the, the goal is to, to, to check in where you happen to be, whether you're at an office building, whether you're out at the movies, whether you're at a restaurant, whether you're shopping. And um, by checking in, you're letting your friends, because it's, a, after all, a social service, so you are uh, linked to friends, you're letting your friends know where you are. Now, uh, a lot of this has to do and, and with uh, younger generations and uh, more urban areas so that people can tell their friends, hey, I'm here, come find me. Uh, but it's also uh, it's also become very interesting in that um, it, it, it allows businesses to market themselves better to uh, to customers. So I will go check in, for example, to Pinkberry to get some yogurt and uh, I get points for that. So there's a game element to it and I compete with my friends to see who gets the most check in points during the week. Um, the more times I go to Pinkberry for yogurt, I will uh, uh, I, I can become the mayor of Pinkberry by doing that. And by becoming the mayor or by checking in multiple times, you have the option to benefit from that. A lot of businesses and Pinkberry is one of them. Um, started to take advantage of these location-based services by offering discounts to the mayor, free things to people who uh, are happen to be the mayor, or just discounts for people who check in at the place. At Pinkberry, I can get a 10% discount just for checking in. And if I'm the mayor, I get a free cup of yogurt every time I'm there. So it's a great marketing tool for, uh, for businesses. But I think that part of what we want to talk about today is whether or not it makes any sense for lawyers. So Dennis, what are you hearing from my description that makes you think lawyers would be interested in this? 
Well, I, I, I hear a couple of things. And, and when there is this sort of check-in element that you talk about where some of these services allow you to sort of voluntarily disclose where you are, check in to uh, uh, an actual location, maybe even set up a location that people can check into, uh, use that f- for business purposes, as you say, give people discounts, uh, let people know who's at the same place, who's a friend of theirs, uh, you know, find ATM, the nearest ATM. There's a whole bunch of great things you can do with location. Um, you go back to Flickr, I think, was one of the early examples where people could stamp right. the location yep. of their of their photos, uh, you know, which is great. So that you would always be able to know where this picture that you had taken uh, was actually physically taken. Now, what people found over time was these kind of unintended consequences. So you take a picture of, let's say, your new, your new home theater room, and that's stamped with the location of your house and then at the same time you know through some other location service or, or through Twitter or something you're saying that you're on vacation well you've kind of told people what they what they can steal at your house and so uh, that's where I, I think there's some wariness but there's some there's some interesting things so potentially I think this is fairly limited some some lawyers or law firms um, in certain locations maybe may become a place that people could check into and and offer discounts to people who actually come there or, or take advantage of people in that location. I think probably what you're going to see on the, the location uh, interest for lawyers is the potential information that it gives you in certain types of cases. Um, so, for example, uh, allegation of drunk driving, uh, and you saw that somebody checked into a bar at a certain time on that that evening. And so, just sort of more evidence of what's going on. Are people in a different location? Uh, and and there's going to be some, you know, some evidence that you're generating about that location. So, I, I think there are a number of things. I think that the typical lawyer is going to really have to sort of think carefully about what location information is out there and whether it's involved. Uh, I think it's going to be more involved in the, the work that they're doing more so than than something that they will do. Um, I mean, is that your sense? I mean, lawyers are, are slow adopters, and I think the privacy aspects of location are, are really tricky. So, I don't see that lawyers are going to jump in and always be giving up their location. Oh, I think that's right. And, and I'm very careful in using these services to only give my location to people that I either trust or don't care if they know where I am. I mean, if I'm going to see a movie, it doesn't bother me that my friends uh, know that I happen to be at a movie. I don't expect them to stalk me or find me anywhere. But that that requires me to go in and 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 configure the settings so that only my friends can see it. You know, with Foursquare on the mobile app, I have the ability to both post my location to Twitter or on Facebook. And I do neither because I don't want it to necessarily go out that far. But, um, but on Twitter, and, and as you point out, uh, the, the site Please Rob Me popped up in response to people posting their location on Twitter. It's all open. Everybody can see it, not just your friends and followers on Twitter, but really anybody who has access to, uh, to the Twitter search can, can view all of those things. And so what Please Rob Me did was they set up a, 
a constant feed of people checking in on Foursquare. And they called it Please Rob Me because they're obviously telling people, I'm not home right now, so uh, you know where to go find me. And it would be hard to do that. But the point was definitely made. And um, I think that that you're absolutely right. I think that that uh, using these services as a source of evidence um, for uh, – Family law cases, for criminal law cases, even probably for some types of civil cases, I think would be very useful. And now that the 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 eight hundred pound gorilla in the room, Facebook has wandered into the the whole thing with its places function. You've suddenly gone to where the biggest service was Foursquare with a million users to Facebook with five hundred million users, uh, suddenly telling everybody where you happen to be, and uh, it's a very powerful. Powerful discovery tool. I, I would imagine that the right request to one of these services could give a listing of a person's entire history of where they've been. And I think that that would be incredibly relevant in a case. And I think that's probably where lawyers are going to to have their best use of these services unless they want to uh, to jump in. And if they do, Dennis, I mean, I think you, your, your point about privacy is well taken. Do you have any suggestions or tips for our listeners on if they do want to try this out, what to what to think about in terms of privacy? Yeah, there's a couple of things, and and uh, although I think the the sort of obvious thing for lawyers is on the the litigation side, I've already noticed just from, you know from casual observation of of some of this is that you'll see uh, on the transactional side, on potentially on the confidentiality side, you will see people check in um, to customer sites. Uh, you might be able to gain a lot of competitive intelligence to see who's working with whom. You know, depending on, you know, as you determine if you're connected to somebody and you can see this in Facebook, potentially in LinkedIn, if LinkedIn went to location, you could say, oh, I'm connected to the general counsel of such and such. And they're using location service. And I see that they've checked in at the corporate headquarters of somebody I didn't know they were doing a deal with. Um, So I think there are those sorts of things. And there is that sort of voluntary aspect of location. And to a certain sense some you know some stuff that's just location information that's generated involuntarily or just as part of what we do carrying around a smartphone um, that we need to get control of so when Facebook places came out uh, the first thing I did before I even read about what it was uh, was I just grabbed a blog post that said here's how you need to look at the privacy settings in Facebook and I just went ahead and got those taken care of right away and then I also looked at what the implications were uh, you know, for my teenage daughter. And, and I actually found out to my surprise going through Facebook that Facebook has some default settings that are very, very favorable if you're under the age of 18. So I think as a parent, <laughs> that gives you a bit more comfort. I think all this location stuff is very, uh, troubling for women. I think more so than men. There's a, there's a stalking element. There's some, you know, there's definitely some concern about when you're giving up location and you really have to pay attention to privacy settings. Tom, I, I, on Foursquare, I always like to use the example of when you had your Foursquare, uh, updates going through Twitter. And, and I mentioned to you one day that I saw that you had been to the doctor and picked up a prescription on the way home, uh, because that was coming out over, over Twitter. And so I think people really 
really have to take care, and you also have to decide how you feel about that location information. Some people are comfortable with that, and people have different levels of comfort, I think, with different private information. And so um, I'm really hesitant about giving up any location information. I think it's, as I look at it, I think it's partly because I grew up in a small town and, and, and sort of I sort of have an approach to privacy that's based on that. Um, but I, you know, every weekend I put up the, uh, you know, how many miles I rode on my bike. And I know there are a lot of people who say I would never give up information about my, you know, my exercise, you know, regimen or uh, the food I eat or where I, you know, those sorts of things. So I think there's a level of comfort you need to have. And I think you also have to understand the ben- the potential benefits of uh of the location information. So if you're going to a baseball game and you're able to see your friends who might also be at the game that you didn't know about and you can you can meet up with them, that's a really cool thing. And and that's a and so that's sort of the plus side of of location. And I just think we're going to have to start to learn how we're going to live with in a world where our location becomes much more widely known to people. Well, I guess my first response is that that wasn't me that told you that I was going to the doctor on Twitter. That may have been somebody else's tweet that you saw, but I, I, I will, I will not tweet that and and put that in public. Um, no, it's a, no, I said no. You I, were the mayor of your doc- doctor's office, I think. I may have shown that I was mayor of the doctor's <laughs> office, but that was something I didn't have control over at the time. And I know, I know individuals who do tweet about going to the doctor's office all the time, and and I think that's obviously a personal choice they've made. I know that the, the the concern that many women have about using a service like this is valid. And so what they'll do is they will wait to check in until just as they're leaving so that uh, they're, they're, they're not there if someone decides they want to stalk them. But the, the issues with Facebook are, are quite real because Facebook, again, as it does so often when it, uh, when it uh, introduces new features, it introduces them with the idea that everyone wants to be open and to do everything thing about it and so all of the all of the features of places were provided by default and you have to go into several layers of privacy settings to go in there and what's one of the most i think troubling things about Facebook places, although I really like the service. It's not as good as Foursquare, but it has the potential to be even better. But what I, what I really don't like is, is that when you check into a place, it allows you to actually check in your friends at the same time, which could lead to a huge issue. Now, frankly, when you, when someone tries to check you in there, you get an email and you can deny that. But the simplest thing is to just go into your Facebook account and check that box off that says, don't let my friends check me in. Only let me check in if I plan to do that. But uh, again, it's it's it bears repeating that whenever you try to use these services, they all have privacy settings. Some are easier to find than others. It really makes sense to go in, find what they are, and and find the ones that make the most sense for how you want to use the tool. Dennis, any final thoughts before we go to the next segment? I think you're exactly right. I mean, the first thing I did on the privacy settings with the Facebook places was uh, prevented anybody from checking in, checking me in anywhere. Um, yeah, I, my last thought is and I'll inter- I want to introduce a new concept that we may talk about in an upcoming episode. And that's this notion of the Internet of Things. And so the idea is that we have a lot of different devices that are connecting to the Internet and generating information that we can use over the internet in a lot of ways, both us and other people. Some like 4 million cell phones 
now. Um, and so and as we generate this location information, we all we become like little sense. Each of us is a little sensor generating this information that can be used in a lot of different ways. And with this location information can really tell us a lot about how we are as a, a culture, but also has some individual consequences. So uh, just think if you see the term Internet of Things, I think that's uh, really becoming an interesting area of where the Internet is evolving to. We will continue to take, keep a watch on that. But before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our amazing sponsor, Clio. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for our free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code KMR for a 25% discount. Engage your brain. Keep up with the fast pace of the legal profession. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and listen to all of our great legal podcasts. They're free. Interested in having a show on Legal Talk Network? We'd like to talk to you about building your firm's marketing strategy with legal podcasts. Give us a call at 781-551-9960. That's LegalTalkNetwork.com. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We have another installment of our popular What Dennis and Tom Have Been Talking About Themselves segment. Tom has a new iPad, and I'm Yay. sticking with my, my vow not to buy an iPad until the second version is released, which I'm hoping is going to be very soon. So we thought it might be fun to have Tom answer some of my questions about things I want to know before I actually buy an iPad. Now, Tom, I'm hearing that airplanes are full of people using iPads these days and that the, the iPad tide has really come in. And so my first question is, is, is it realistic? And I know you've been traveling. So is it really realistic that you can travel with just an iPad and not take a laptop with you these days? Um, the answer to that is yes and no. And it really depends on how you work and how you want to work. I... Uh, just as by way of introduction, I remember when we did the podcast on this a couple of months ago, I was fairly sure that I would get a, an iPad and then I, I changed my mind. I decided this doesn't have anything to do with the way that I actually do my work on computers. And, and I actually bought a netbook to, to, to have a smaller version to use. But uh, about a month ago, I suddenly became convinced that I must have an iPad. I'm not sure I can tell you why, but, but I made that decision. And so since then, I've gone on two trips and I've, I've uh, used it in really two, really two different ways. The first time was to um, some ABA meetings, the ABA annual meeting in uh, San Francisco, and I wanted to use it to take notes. Uh, I, I don't have a keyboard for the iPad, and there are a number of really nice note-taking applications. Now, you can't uh, write, you can, you can write on it, but you have to use either your finger or a specially designed stylus. And the stylus that you buy, I bought a stylus from, from Pogo, I think is the name of the company. Pogo Sketch is the stylus. And the, the tip of it has a, the consistency that's very similar to the tip of your finger. If you just tap on the, on the 
surface of an iPad with just a pen, it won't do anything. It has to have the it's got the touch capacitor on it that 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 uh, re- reacts to that certain level of pressure. And I was able to take notes. There are a number of notes applications that will convert to text that will uh, send things to your Evernote account that will convert to PDF that you can do a number of different things with. And I, I enjoyed working with the notes and notebooks. Uh, this time that I went, went on the trip, I really just used it as, as a content consumption device. I um, I think that from a business standpoint, if you plan to work on documents, you really need a keyboard. You need to have the Bluetooth keyboard. It's really not that uh, practical to try and type in things on your own. And and I think that, that Apple's Pages software is a very good tool. You can export that out to uh, a number of formats, but primarily Word, which is beneficial to me. I think that the biggest downside is that is that the iPad doesn't really have any folder structure that you can access. So you can't really save things in folders. I can't go to my email and attach a document on my iPad iPad and mail it out. I think that's a downside. I, if I'm in pages doing a document, I can uh, I can create the document, but I have to mail it from the application itself. I have to send it out and export it that way. So there are ways around it. It's not the most friendly for content creation, but I'm, I'm learning. There are a lot of applications out there that can help. And so I think that it's yes or no. It depends on on what you're what you plan to do when you when you go on the road. But there are definitely some possibilities. Well, you, I think you, the keyboard, your keyboard part of the answer a- answered another question I had about how realistic it is to work on documents and, and your point about folders and maybe looking for alternatives, maybe like a Google Docs or something to actually move documents around might be an, a really important point. The big thing for me is if I'm traveling, I want to get my new podcasts every day. And so my real question is, if I just have the iPad, can I get the new podcast? Can I sync those into the iPad? Or do I have to have another computer that has iTunes that I actually have to sync with? I hate to break the news to you, Dennis, but, uh, you know, when people said that uh, an iPad was basically just like a big iPod touch, that's pretty much the case. And so you have to sync with a computer that has iTunes in order to download podcasts. Now, you can go to the iTunes store. The, the iTunes store is on uh, uh, is on there, but it's the same general idea as uh, as when you have your iPhone out. You, you're not able to or or an iPod, you're not able to download podcasts directly to it unless you're just going to do a one-off. You can download any podcast from the iTunes store for free um, just over the air. I think I'm not sure if you have to be connected to Wi-Fi or if you can do it on 3G, but um, you can't update your subscriptions through the iPad, unfortunately. You're going to have to connect to a computer that has uh, has iTunes. So I say sync them all up before you leave and uh, and wait until you get back to listen to more. Mm, and I'm not sure I like that. Although what you were saying did sound like I could maybe manually and maybe would spend a little time to, to pull in certain new episodes that I wanted while I was on the road, just do that manually. Last question for you. All right, sort of double question. Um, do you still find that uh, or do you find that you get interrupted by people who want you to demo the iPad for them? That's what I often see when I run into people with iPads is they're showing, you know, basically doing a demo for other people. And then uh, what's what's your biggest learning, I guess, from having the iPad so far? 
Well, you know, I actually have had more people ask me about my Kindle than about the iPad. I've had a few people ask about the iPad, but I almost want to say that it's becoming uh, well known to people faster than the Kindle did. I think that it's more it's more ubiquitous and and more visible than the Kindle was. So on the plane, and I when I was uh, walking back from the bathroom, I noticed at least three or four iPads on the plane. So I don't think that it's an unusual thing. I really don't get that many requests to demonstrate it. I, uh, despite the limitations, and and let me come back real quick and say that there are, are there's one main type of Bluetooth uh, keyboard that works really well with the iPad, but I've seen recently, and I will try to find it and put it in the show notes if I can find it, a new cover for a new case for the iPad that has a built-in keyboard so that you can prop the iPad up um, and plug it into the keyboard that, that resides in one end of the case. So that's a potentially very useful way to to get some work done. I really enjoy using the iPad for content consumption. Uh, I, I recommend highly for iPad users uh, Flipboard, which is a a tool that takes your Facebook uh, uh, stream or your tr- Twitter stream and it provides you uh, links to articles and pictures in a magazine format. It's just beautiful and very nice to consume. I do crosswords on there. I uh, have Evernote. And um, one of my favorite tools, I'll, I'll, I'll wait until the uh, parting shot to mention it because I use it on my iPad a lot. But um, I primarily am, am using it to read my Google Reader uh, feeds, my uh, t- tweets on uh, Twitter, uh, the people that I follow. But as a content consumption tool, it is stunning. It's a fantastic, very easy to use tool. Uh, I'm, I'm not convinced yet on the content creation. And I'm hoping that that uh, more applications can be uh, can can come to the store, the Apple Store, that might help with some of those issues. Well, I'm I'm definitely waiting for version two and hoping I can hold off. But uh, we're getting the hurry up signal, so it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, like I said, uh, one of the apps that I use on on my iPad and that I'm finding that I use constantly these days is Dropbox. And I want to make another pitch for Dropbox. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to it. I encourage you to use that link to download Dropbox. It is one of the best tools I have right now. I have essentially uploaded my whole My Documents folder, or I I should say I have moved My Documents folder into Dropbox so that now I have access to all of my documents, no matter what computer I have to be on. And in addition, on my iPad. I uh, was knew I was going to be at some meetings where uh, at the ABA uh, annual meeting where I had m- multiple PDFs that were 80 and 90 pages. Uh, I was able to put those in my Dropbox and then I could view them on the iPad. Very, very nice view through Dropbox. It's a great tool for uh, being able to access and view files on the iPad. I- I've learned from a lawyer recently that, that he downloaded it to all of his computers and he's given his assistant access to some of the folders within Dropbox so that she has access to constantly updated items that he just moves into there when he wants her to deal with it. So it's sort of a uh, a poor person's network uh, environment that I think has the potential to be really nice for the solo small firm environment and just anybody who wants to be able to have 
ready access to their uh, synchronized files at any time. Dennis. Um, I've been thinking lately, actually, I've thought this for many years, that the most underserved and sort of ignored part of the legal technology market is is the medium-sized firm. And I think it's really, there's lots of great information for solos and small firms, a lot of big firm information, but the, the medium-sized firm is really in this, this kind of no man's land in terms of information and things that are unique to them. And, and there are a lot of, of really special issues that, that uh, medium-sized firms have to think about. And part of it is just get an idea of what other firms are doing, both, uh, you know, sometimes what the big firms are doing, what other mid-sized firms are doing and the like. And, and I think probably the best source of information these days on what's going on in legal technology and firms is the inside legal ILTA legal tech survey that comes out every year. And, and our friend Joanna Forche is, is at Inside Legal. Uh, that'll be insidelegal.com. Uh, puts together this survey f- from the IT people and others who go to the annual ILTA conference. And they ask a lot of detailed information about what law firms are doing, what the trends are, where spending is going to be, what's going on with the budgets. We did a podcast last year uh, talking about this survey. The new one just came out. And especially if you're in a mid-sized firm, just trying to get an idea of what what's going on out there and how to think strategically, I don't think you you have a better place to go than than this legal tech survey. Totally agree. Joanna and the folks at Inside Legal do a fantastic job on the survey every year. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us will be available on our show notes wiki, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today. You'll find that at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episodes, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Listen to this podcast from wherever you are located. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book. The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.